Excuse me, but are you loving this podcast? If you are, you can support the show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. All you have to do is hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We would like to start off our show by acknowledging the Yugambeh people the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We would like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Excuse me, I have something to say. This is the podcast where we have real and open conversations with everyday people, professionals and public figures who all have something to say. I'm your host, Sean Phillip Naylor, and you can join me every fortnight as we dig a little bit deeper into our shared human experience. You can join in on our conversations by heading over to the show's official pages and sending me a DM. You can share with me your own experiences, opinions, and feedback on the show over on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at excuseme underscore pod. You can find us on Facebook if you search Excuse Me, I Have Something to Say or through our official website, excuse me, I have something to say.com. And don't forget that you can rate and leave a review of the show, which is going to help our conversations reach a wider audience. And remember to share, like, and subscribe so that you never have to miss a show. Hi guys, thank you for tuning into the show and welcome back. It's a brand new year, we're now in 2022 with a brand new season of your favourite podcast. That's this one, this is your favourite podcast. And we're still in the same old pandemic. We've got a great year of content and some amazing guests planned for you lovely lot this year. So thank you very much for coming back and joining me for season three. Can you believe that we're entering our third year of the show? I mean, I know I can't. And our third year of this global pandemic. Is anyone else feeling a little fatigued with all of this now? Because I know I am. Now, with tomorrow being World Health Day, I thought it only appropriate to invite a frontline worker to the show. So to help us gain a little perspective and understanding of what this pandemic has looked like from the frontline, I've invited Nurse Jess to the show to share her experience with all of us. Jess is a Queensland-based ICU nurse and one of the many frontline workers who have risked their own lives and who have worked their asses off during this whole pandemic to keep all of us safe and healthy. Now this episode comes with a trigger warning. This conversation touches on sensitive topics relating directly to the COVID-19 pandemic, dealing with death and loss, health and mental health 
both within the workplace and at home. If any of these subjects are potentially triggering for you, or perhaps you're experiencing a bit of social anxiety or pandemic fatigue, then I encourage you to sit this one out for now and maybe revisit it later on when you've got someone within your support network close by to help you. Hi Jess, and welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for uh, allowing me to harass you into coming onto my show. Can my you, pleasure. <laughs> can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. So I am a registered nurse. I am originally from Canada. I grew up in Toronto and moved to Australia when I was 29. And I've been a nurse for, I think I'm coming on 14 years. Yeah, I did probably close to nine or 10 years in Canada and then have been nursing here as well. My specialty is pediatric intensive care. So the critical care of babies and children. I used to do just babies intensive care. And now I work with zero to 18 year olds. Yeah, so that's my niche specialty. And it's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> you As must, many people have with their jobs. Yeah, you must see a lot, especially like, I mean, I think nursing at its best is, is difficult, but to be there with the kids, like that must be, yeah. I mean, one, really interesting and two, quite hard, hard on you sometimes. Yeah, it can be pretty traumatizing. It's a world pick you, uh, which is short for a pediatric intensive care uh, unit. Pick you is a world that not a lot of people know about, unfortunately, until they are thrown into the depths of it suddenly in their life, which is a curse and a blessing because it's, you know, not that you know, get into the job for the recognition or the money, but it does bring extra challenges. The things that we see with the kids at my work are often very traumatic experiences, unexpected, and they're and their life or death situations, critical care. So it's about as bad as it can get in terms of the health status of a child uh, is is where I'm looking after them. So I mean, there's the the workload that comes with that, but then there is this additional side of families because children are not autonomous beings. It's not the kind of thing where they're making their own decisions and the medical team is, you know, making the decisions or involving in the care. There's this whole spectrum of of decision making in terms of what the child will want or need depending on their age and what the parents who are generally the primary carers will want and need and then what the doctors and the healthcare team feels is necessary it can be very complex and sometimes really challenging i guess if you if you see the worst case scenarios how do you decompartmentalize that when you try to switch off and go home like that can't be easy no it's not easy you try to it's hard because when you think about, personally, when I think about what makes me a wonderful nurse, a lot of it comes down to my sensitivity and my compassion in my life, not just my job. And that's what I put into my work. So, you know, I'm not the type of person who can just stop caring and turn it off when I leave. And also, like anyone else, you take 
you know, you go home at the end of a hard day and you think about what happened in your day, regardless of whether you work in an office or an ICU. So there is a certain element that you just can't decompartmentalize, but, you know, you learn coping mechanisms and healthy thought processes versus unhealthy coping and thought processes in terms of, you know, the way that you look at the situations you're exposed to and what happened. A lot of it, you know, you need a fair bit of self-awareness to realize the importance of needing to debrief or get support from your colleagues because, you know, there's so many confidential situations. You can't speak about what you see to anyone other than who you work with. So it's, it's tricky, but it's just a matter of really personally, I embrace that. I thoroughly try and understand what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling and how they relate to one another. And, you know, whether it's like trauma or aggression or just absolute shitty life events. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear, but <laughs> oh, you can swear like a sailor. That's okay. Yeah, you know, there's some things that in life that are just crappy, and they happen to people for no reason, like accidents and cancers and things and viruses, and you know, uh, you don't necessarily get picked why you're going to go through one thing. So talking about viruses, we Mm. have, of course, (laughs) all of us on this planet been thrown into another one of those one in a hundred year events. Um, We got to have another one, (laughs) another one. We got to have whatever our very own global pandemic over the last couple of years. Um, Looking, I guess, looking back to the start of the pandemic, which would have at this point in time, I guess for Australia, we would have been coming up to two years since the first big lockdowns and things. When it all started to to pan out, where were you? What was work like for you at that point? And how did you feel listening and knowing what was going on with a medical background and the prospects of what a pandemic meant? Oh, overwhelmed, as I think many of us have felt for the last couple of years. It was tricky. So I was in, I was here in Brisbane working in the ICU. And, you know, I think in the first, at the beginning, like everyone else, it was very, what's it about? How much is truth? When's it going to get here? How bad is it going to be? All those sorts of questions, the very beginning that everyone had, regardless of their background. And then, you know, you started to see changes in the workplace, like policies being created, plans, uh, real like catastrophe planning, essentially. And it felt as it did for really the last two years for me in Queensland, because our cases had been limited by, in my opinion, great, strong government implementation of rules and closure of borders keeping Queensland quite safe. The only thing I can really compare it to is almost waiting for a bomb to drop. You think, oh, it's coming. It's it's going to come. We're prepped. We're ready. You know, I work in a 36-bed unit, and I think we're funded for 28 beds. But we had strategies in place that if, like overseas, we were going to see adult patients in our children's ICU and just absolute overwhelming hospital bed flow, we would take over the 
theater. We would take over the post-anesthetic care unit and optimize an ICU up to 60-some-odd patients. No talk really about where we would get the staff and nursing, particularly to look after 60 adult ICU patients. But thankfully... In Queensland, we didn't really get there. I have colleagues and friends in Toronto and Canada that were looking after adult patients in their children's ICU there. And that was probably one of the bigger fears for us working here was not only, you know, adults aren't our area of expertise. I see we're very capable of managing them, but it was a lot of prep work and fear and just being ready to go to battle if we had to, learning how to put on all of the PPE and take it off properly. And, you know, if planning if this goes wrong, where's this person going to go? What are you going to do? And actually only in the last few months since the borders have opened, have we had true cases of COVID in our unit and had to really implement all of the practices we've been prepping for for the last two years. But thankfully, it's from a place of generally, for example, everyone at my work is vaccinated, you know, so it's not the absolute catastrophe that we had feared and anticipated, thankfully, because the majority of Queensland is vaxxed, our healthcare workers are vaxxed. So when they're getting it, they're coming in, they're not as sick. When we're getting it, we're not as sick. And that's been a saving grace. I'm very thankful to have been exposed and working in COVID land, as we say, having been vaxxed, you know, it would be a totally different world dealing with this virus, you know, at the beginning, like the UK and like New York, watching these cities and these nurses and everyone just perish and having these conversations of, oh, it's going to be a year until there's a vaccine. You know, we're going to have to wait a year. And then, you know, the vaccine comes out, nobody wants to get it. And it's, a whole other debate. Anyway, it's it's been a roller coaster. Well, it's been an absolute roller coaster. Must be frustrating for you as somebody who works in the medical field. My assumption is that there's a level of science that is in the medical field that rational people should be, let's just say, appreciative of. Um, yes. And then, of course, when this pandemic first hit and then they started to talk about vaccines and then the vaccinations came. And like you said, a lot of people didn't want to get it. A lot of people didn't get it. As, as somebody like you who works in the medical field, that must be frustrating. Like almost like yeah. if you, like, I don't know if you've had many conversations with people who chose not to get the, the vaccination for whatever reason, but I know I've had a few and sometimes it's just like hitting your head against a brick wall Mm -hmm. trying to talk to these people um and of course you know it's very tricky topic to tackle but I mean how does it make you feel working in these wards working in our hospitals knowing that you've got people who are coming in who basically didn't listen to the science didn't listen to the facts made up their own mind and are now getting themselves really sick and potentially making other people sick. It's such a tricky topic. And I feel like with time, you know, you get more exhausted having that conversation over and over again, because it is sensitive. There's a big range of reasons why people would choose not to get vaccinated. And some of it is legitimate and some of it is crazy talk. Some of them are real conspiracy theorists. And they're running off absolute nonsense. 
Then there's other people with health conditions or a general good knowledge of science and the research that goes into these things. One of the things I wanted to mention today was I think we don't consider enough the level of people's different health literacy, which is a term that isn't used too frequently outside of healthcare. And that's simply the general public's level of understanding of health and medicine and the science and the evidence-based practice and the policies and procedures. And, you know, you can't go to any well-run hospital in the world and not get the the newest, most current evidence-based practice and care. And that's something that's been happening for decades, well beyond the COVID pandemic. You know, we base our, the care that we provide on, we have a very high standard for the things that we do to people. And it's because the consequences can be grave if we're incorrect. So going back to health literacy, you know, we don't, you can't take Joe Schmo off the street who like didn't get past the 10th grade and never pursued secondary education, you know, somebody who's worked rurally, like there's just various levels of understanding. And for people who aren't capable from an intellectual level of understanding the data and the science, you would just hope that they would trust the experts. But unfortunately, yeah, with the internet and Google and mass social media and sharing and algorithms feeding you bullshit, like, there's a lot of misinformation. So I do think it's important to have that conversation with people about why they are choosing one way and making sure if you have the opportunity to provide them with good resources that might ensure that what they're reading and learning is is factual. You know, it's not just some shit on Facebook, although, you know, lots of people seem to be happy with that just simply being their resource, which is a problem in the first place. But yes, it is frustrating. We get you know, as I said, we have parents of children that aren't vaccinated and there's visiting policies, you know, in an adult hospital, in an adult world, if you weren't vaxxed, you wouldn't be visiting, period. But in a children's hospital, we cannot say that these parents can't visit because they're unvaxxed because they're the carers. They're the primary people looking after this child and they need to be actively involved in their care. And then that just creates a heavier workload for us. So now we're in addition to not only just saving a critically ill child, uh, the nurses have to screen. Every time we meet someone, we're saying, are you vaccinated? Can I see the status? Let me document this in your chart. Oh, you're not. Then we have to do a rat test. We need to do it this frequently. We need to chart it. If there's vaccinated parents, it's two at a time at the bedside. If there's unvaxxed parents, it's one at a time. And there's exemptions that we made for end of life situations. It's just this whole additional workload. And a lot of it is falling on the nurses, unfortunately. Just the screening and management of vaccination status. Whereas if we were in an adult hospital, it would just be, sorry, no entry. Yeah. And those are the flat um, so again, it's even more complex with the kids I guess for I that reason. I didn't even think of that. I didn't even consider just as, you know, general pub- public guy, I didn't even really think about, I guess, the logistics of that scenario. I, I you know, that's kind of crazy that parents, I don't know, I, I believe in science, so I'm struggling to understand. <laughs> and I can't yeah. imagine 
it's, but it's like yeah it's hard because like you know when people ask me oh how do you feel about mask mandates and visiting guidelines and all of this and I say well you know I agree with everything they're doing I agree with closing the borders I agree with the wearing masks I agree with people getting vaccinated and the rules that are in place so it's really easy for me to say that because everything that's being done I am on the side of that so it's not a conflict for me but um it's hard like the whole in Canada right now, there's these freedom convoys happening with truckers driving across the country and refusing to work because they don't want to wear masks and they don't want to not be allowed places because they're not vaccinated. And it's just like, I feel like when you're in my line of work, seeing what I see every day in my job, you have a perspective on life that is greater than a lot of people are exposed to. And when I hear people talk about the economy, and the jobs, and the freedom, and the masks, and all of the bullshit that everyone is arguing about all the time now. You can't see what I see pre-pandemic, even before any of this happened. You can't work as an ICU nurse and see life and death and people at their most vulnerable in absolute crisis and feel the necessity to argue about something so trivial. I'm not saying the economy and jobs don't matter. I'm not saying that people's freedom of choice is not important. But when you look at life and death and the way that this thing has wiped out millions of people, there's a bigger picture. I can't, I can't talk about any of it without thinking, God, if you could only see what I see at my job, you just would have a different perspective on what's important, what we should be fighting for and about. You know, if you held the hand of dying people, if you supported people who were grieving, or even worse in this situation, people who can't even be there to grieve with their dying loved ones. It's just this emotional knowledge and awareness that I'm exposed to at my job that people making arguments about these bullshit trivial things cannot understand. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. And it's as you were talking about it, it sort of brought back a lot of the, I guess, the early stuff from the pandemic, the early news that we were getting. You know, obviously in Australia, we've been very lucky in comparison to some other places. But, you know, talking about, I guess, two years on, you kind of almost, obviously not you and your line of work, but the everyday person kind of forgets about seeing all the news stories of people not being able to be with their loved ones you know I know we had people um, trying to get into our state in Queensland and they couldn't because Anastasia Palaszczuk's rules and people trying to get exemptions to be with loved ones but then you kind of almost forget that in Europe and in like you said in New York and places like this there were people dying and just hundreds and thousands of people dying and nobody being with them other than People like you, the nurses, um, you know, the the frontline workers, people in the hospitals, giving support and comfort to people who were losing their battle mm. and couldn't have their family with them. It's just, yeah, you just made me think all of, about all of that again, and it's all quite sad. I remember watching the TV and yeah. just being so shocked by it, and still feeling, although yeah, sure we had COVID here in Australia, but still feeling a world away from it all, and like. Mm. We somehow got lucky being, you know, the island in the southern hemisphere that is yeah. sort of away from everything. 
I watched heaps of friends and family in the UK constantly on their social media feeds going, okay, got COVID, you know, and then people being so worried and still sort of sitting here going, well, we've got nothing. Mm-hmm. I know. And I'm not sure if it's just because we're in Queensland, because I know that Melbourne and Sydney got hit mm-hmm. much harder, but it's, yeah, it's true. It's like you say, you, um, I mean, with the board, it's, I mean, I'm an international person. I directly feel the impact of not seeing my family for a number of years. And that's overseas, not even interstate. And I do think exemptions were made for people in particular circumstances for end of life and things like that in terms of when the Queensland borders were closed. And it is sad that, you know, people can't see their interstate family for months or years, but yeah, as you said, it's it's much more tragic when people are dying alone in a hospital. And it's funny you mention back in the beginning, I can remember literally this time in 2020, we were in the tea room at work talking about, you know, the potential and what's going to happen and when it's going to get here. And the head of our department said, you know, he didn't, he personally didn't think we were going to get it very bad, but that we would get almost like a secondary caregiver burden and feeling this guilt for our ICU colleagues internationally and in adult land, as we call it. This almost as though we've been spared the fact that we identify as intensive care nurses, but that we work with this population that seemingly literally wasn't hit by COVID. Like even before the vaccines, before Omicron, the variants, everything, children were not getting it. They were not getting it as critically unwell. I still don't know the data behind why, if that's been found out, but, um, you know, and he spoke about this, this, this guilt that we feel. And I, I have felt that I, that all of my ICU colleagues in adult ICUs and across the world have had this terrible run, this terrible couple years, day, shifts from hell, insane exposures to this virus. I mean, we're even in, we're just in N95 masks at work now. And it's, it's torture just wearing that tight mask all the time. And these people were in these gear for 14, 16 hours. Just like, I cannot describe to you how much you sweat under one of these waterproof protective gowns. It's pretty much like wearing a garbage bag. It's just a sweat lodge. Like you have, yeah, you have this guilt that's just, you know, you're thankful that you haven't been exposed and it's not here, but then you also just feel this terribleness that like I could be doing more, you know, should I be travel nursing? Should I go pick up shifts in Melbourne? They did, they did call outs, you know, Hey, we need nurses to come help on the front lines in this crazy COVID turmoil. And you see it and you go through this juxtaposition of, I want to go help, but it's like a survival of the fittest Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I, I ended up putting myself first and didn't, didn't put my hand up and there's people who did, and I'm thankful for them. And when, you know, you look at the harassment that people are getting now, or even, you know, people clap and they do the pots and pans banging for nurses. And then there's other times you go into, I was speaking to a friend this morning about back in 2020, she went into Coles after a shift in her scrubs and got harassed by this man yelling at her for wearing her scrubs into coals. How dare she expose them and this and that, you know, every Wednesday outside the hospital, there's mask and vax protesters with big signs 
hooting and hollering. You know, I'm driving into work and there's these people standing on the road, privileged enough to be breathing fresh air on the sidewalk with their fucking sign about their mask rights. And I'm going into an N95 in a gown, trying not to get it. It's infuriating. And you did get it, didn't you? I did get it. I got it at a bar on Boxing Day. (laughs) (laughs) I went down to the Gold Coast and... uh, Oh, well, no one wears masks. Welcome to the Gold Coast. That's right. Honestly, it was quite an eye-opener. We went down and it was just, it was at Christmas time. The borders had just opened and I was with a bunch of healthcare workers and we all were wearing our masks, you know, when it was still appropriate to do so. And just, it was amazing in and around the Gold Coast. And I've heard the Sunshine Coast is the same, just people not wearing them. And we went out for a dinner one night and went to an Irish bar Mm -hmm. and good old Omicron spreads like wildfire. So what was it like? For you, obviously, being double, triple vaxxed, you would... would you triple vaxxed. Yeah, it was triple vaxxed when I got it. And what I got it... symptoms like? It wasn't bad. I had a really sore throat. It seems to be quite variable in terms of what symptoms each person gets and how bad they are. You know, some people are symptom-free and others even though they're double vaxxed or having a really rough time of it. I have a couple of friends at work who are still feeling more long-term effects of it. You know, these little weird complications that from having it that probably aren't incredibly well known because they're likely not reported because they're just a bit weird and uncomfortable. And it's not, you know, it's not down as an official symptom. For example, I, I'm an eater by nature. I love food. I will finish a plate. I've never had an issue eating. And ever since I had COVID, I am eating probably 50% of what I would normally eat. I'm just feeling full. I'm not hungry. I'm not sure whether it's going to be good for my waistline or not, but uh, it's just been very weird. And the only thing I can chalk it up to is COVID. You know, one of those weird things, like it's probably not going to report it. It's not going to go down as like a side effect data in the census. But it's one of those things. So yeah, it wasn't too bad for me. And I'm very thankful that I had it after I was triple vaxxed. I have friends who have had it after being double vaxxed and still had a very, very rough, you know, one or two weeks. Um, So you hate to think what it would have been like had you not been vaccinated. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Yeah. I was terrified that I, and, and convinced that I had it after Christmas. New Year's Day, I was fine in the morning. And then at lunchtime, I was like on the couch watching some movie with Benny. And I was just like, I got up and I was like, oh, I feel like I'm getting really sick. And then came on really, really quickly. And I ended up taking the week off of work and had a PCR test, had to go, couldn't get a hold of any rat tests because it was at that point just after <laughs> Christmas where there was like none on the shelves, you couldn't get them. And booked somewhere just south of Brisbane and had to drive up with Benny and had my PCR test, went home, waited, came back negative. But I swear I have never been that sick in my life. And yeah. I couldn't imagine what, you know, if that wasn't. What else? Yeah. Like yeah. I was like, like I was literally going, I must have it because the timing as well. I ran into a couple of friends who had come down from Brisbane. They were on the Gold Coast and literally you know, I was walking across the car park, heading back to my car and they were leaving as well. And we hugged. And two days later, they were like, uh, we've got COVID. And I was like, no. <laughs> and then just, I swear. And then I've had a couple of close calls, but at this point in time, unless there was a false negative, I still somehow have managed to to not yeah. get it. See, and I it- think false negatives are possibly more common than we think. You know, it's, I look after, I've had some kids with it that the parents have said our whole family's whole family was sick. The kids came back positive with COVID. The parents didn't, they were negative. And it's like, they were all sick at the same time. The kids had COVID. It's like, you know, there's going to statistically be some false negatives depending on swab techniques and symptoms and viral shedding. And yeah, it's, it's crazy that we've gotten to a place where it is just like, I hate to say this because I don't want it to be taken the wrong way by people but where it is almost like the common cold for the vaccinated person. You know, for example, the flu shot, get the flu shot every year, protects against the different viruses and the different strains of it. You know, I wonder if this is just going to be the new, did they just add the boosters to the flu shot? It's, I'm glad, I'm gl- thankful that we've gotten to a place where enough people are vaccinated that it can be here and people get it and they're not dying, you know, even with the hospital admissions. It's not overwhelming. Our biggest concern when we opened the Queensland borders, which happened when I got it and one of my colleagues got it at the same time, was staff loss. It's, you know, the focus went from, okay, so the hospitals won't be overwhelmed because a lot of people are getting it, but they're not sick enough to need to go to the hospital. But the people that work at the hospitals, like the nurses and the doctors, if they all get it and they are homesick, who will run the show? It didn't, it became not about the hospitals being overwhelmed with patients that had COVID as much as the absolute loss of staff and workers due to having it and being at home. And I think lots of different places, workers everywhere, you know, you'd see signs in Kmart and signs in coffee shops that would say, sorry, due to staff loss, due to COVID, we're running low, we're running short, you know, the delivery drivers can't make the runs because they're home with COVID. So this, the shelves aren't full, like, you know, it impacted everyone that way, except instead of, oh, you know, Coles is, it's not the same when, oh, you know, there's no chicken, no like organic chicken on the shelves at Coles. It's not really the same as like, oh, who's going to keep this critically ill baby alive? <laughs> you know, it's a bit of perspective. Yeah. It's kind of like in other other parts of the hospital other than critical care, you know, you can pool nurses and have them kind of work between units. You know, you normally work on this ward, 
but we use the same computer system and the care is essentially the same as this other ward. So nurses can move quite freely, but critical care is such a finite expertise. You really need a lot of knowledge and skills and training and experience in order to do what we do in intensive care. So if our workforce is wiped out, you can't just pull nurses from the wards to come work in ICU, which is what they had to do internationally in other places. You know, they'd have one supervising ICU nurse and four, you know, not ICU nurses, and they would just be delegating and saying, this is what you do because there wasn't enough people. You can't just pull the general public of nurses from wherever they work and throw them into ICU. It's a very specialized field. I think that's what a lot of people just kind of assumed is that look, not looking at the bigger picture, not looking at it from a nurse's point of view and not, you know, I guess not knowing the, the specialty um, expertise that's needed for certain roles. Like if it was, if it was brain surgery, you'd be like, (laughs) Oh, well, you see, they're not just going to throw a nurse in to do brain surgery, but you don't necessarily, the general public doesn't think about it. Like, you know, ICU as something that was so specialized, but now that obviously now that you, you talking about it, I can completely understand that. Yeah. I mean, I guess, people didn't really think that the hospitals wouldn't have the staff. So Mm. when we were thrown into that situation, it was, yeah, it was kind of a little bit of a shell shock to see on the news that there was, you know, all the nursing staff is going down. Everybody's got COVID. Nobody's going to be able to help you if you go in. And it wasn't, it was like a complete shift from the start of the pandemic where it was, there's not going to be enough respiratory machines and there's not going to be enough I guess, mechanical side of things to support the people who needed it to then Mm -hmm. being a loss of workforce. And there's literally not enough bodies to help if shit hits the fan. Yeah. That's a scary place to be. Yeah, it is. Well, and, and then you think about the people who are still there. Nurses are not coming out on the other side of this pandemic in a good place. I mean, I'm happy I'm in Queensland, but when I look at things that are happening back in Ontario where I'm from and it's an entirely publicly funded system like the NHS pretty much they're drowning this burnout this overwork this this weight of being responsible for everything and and literally having you know it's it's not like nursing is a 24-hour job like when I start at seven o'clock the nurse that's looking after my patient cannot leave the room until I get there and we hand over and then they can go home. It is one for one change out. You know, if I show up 45 minutes late because of traffic, which isn't really a thing that nurses do, it's not an option because this is the job we do. You know, they don't just leave. It's not like, oh, I'm done. I'm clocked out. I'll just, I'll just leave because you've got a person lying there critically ill on a ventilator that's just shit themselves, right? Like you're not just going to be like, oh, peace out. Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> And that's, and that's what, that's what's happened. This, you know, people are leaving the nurse, people were leaving the nursing workforce before this because of lack of recognition, lack of staffing, lack of resources internationally. This is a problem. The people that are up top making the financial decisions are not the people that are there doing the dirty work, seeing where the resources need to be. And so when people burn out and leave the, the workforce or get COVID or 
you know, have had enough of COVID and can't handle it after two years, the people that are left there are still bearing that weight and that burden of keeping going because ethically in our souls, you're there to care for people. You don't get into nursing for any other reason. So when there's no staff, when there's too many patients, when there's no resources, we just keep going because it's in our nature. Nurses put themselves last to a fault. So yeah, it's, it's hard to see coming out on the other side of this, that not only how many nurses have left the workforce internationally because of what's happened over the last two years, but the fact that we're going back to the way things were before. We had this two years of like, appreciate the nurses, healthcare heroes, frontline, let's stand out on the balcony and bang pots and pans at seven o'clock. And now that we're wrapping it up, so to speak, nothing's changing. We're not getting paid more. We're not getting more staff. We're still not getting our breaks. We're still getting abused at the bedside. We're going back to all of the problems that we had before the pandemic that everyone pulled up their socks for in the name of saving the world (laughs) during the pandemic. And after all of that, and after the whole world got a taste of what nurses really do, we're just going to, we're just going to go back. This is one of the reasons why I really wanted to have a conversation with somebody who is in your field of work. And I'm glad that it was you. I'm glad that you said yes, because your honesty and your candor has been quite eye-opening. And I appreciate that. It's, it is scary to think that just for a moment, the light was on how tough it is in your industry and what you all do. And then the thought that you're, you know, for you guys in particular to sit there and think and to witness and to see the, you know, the time turning backwards to what it was before. And then on top of that, you've got the knowledge and the experience of everything that you guys have gone through over the past two years collectively as, you know, international healthcare workers to see, I guess, that tide going out again and not being appreciated and not seeing the right kind of change within the industry. Like that must be a really scary prospect. And I guess it begs the question, how do you stay motivated to keep doing what you're doing and keep helping people when it's essentially for the most part quite a thankless job Mm. it's hard to stay motivated as I said at the beginning it's a love hate relationship I'm passionate about what I do I'm good at what I do I love my job but it destroys me in many other ways you know and I think that the conversation needs to be had about job satisfaction, nursing staff retention. You know, I'd love to go back and do my master's and study. How much money do you spend recruiting new nurses, training up nurses, covering sick leave, all all the sorts of uh, band-aid fixes that are very expensive to, to the healthcare system when the focus should be like a lot of things in healthcare, a more preventative approach, which is, you know, we're pretty selfless people. I don't think we ask for much. You know, if I'm supposed to have three breaks in a 12-hour period, I'd really like to get all three. <laughs> if I could have, you know, an extra nurse running around <clears throat> so that I can go take a like a water break or pee when I need to. And then instead, you know, these are, there's if people, if 
the government and private here, I guess, like if they focus more on keeping the nurses they have happy and what it took to do that, which would be a much less expensive course than what's currently happening, which is people leave, they get burnt out and they think, well, you know, I'm making the same in the ICU as somebody down the road who works eight to five, Monday to Friday, gets coffee bought for them by their boss all the time, puts people on a scale, does some computer work. And I'm not taking away from non, from the less clinical nursing jobs. There's a variety of nursing jobs and they are all important, but it's not, it's not a surprise when I see people moving from ICU where we're already exposed to trauma and like fluids and aggression, all of these things that were already a part of the job. And then you add not getting a break and you add having to stay late and not getting paid overtime or, you know, not having adequate support from your management and people leave. Why would you stay cleaning up poop all day getting yelled at for the same amount of money as somebody who's like calculating your BMI, putting a blood pressure cuff on, you know, and not working shift work, you know, the hazards of shift work and night shift aside, you know, being at risk for heart disease and diabetes and earlier death because we work shifts. It's no surprise that people think, oh yeah, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to do something that's better for me. That's less stress. So they do. And then the system spends how much money hiring new people, training them up only to get burnt out and do the same thing. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. It's tough. I feel like the world is in a tough place right now as it has been for years, but it's, it's amazing to see the divisiveness that's happened as a result of this, particularly with the vaccine conversation, Mm -hmm. families and friendships just totally destroyed. Well, we've put it in our house with certain people, friends and family members, we've put the vaccination conversation is uh, up there with religion and politics. With certain people, you just don't talk about it. It's not worth it. You know, I've got friends and family members who are not vaccinated and I, I wish they were. I wish they could see things the way I saw them. But I guess, you know, at the end of the day, they are their own people and they can make whatever choices they're comfortable with. But it's, yeah, it's one of those things where we just, we can't talk about it because it ends in argument. Yeah. And it's just, it's like butting heads. And I, you know, there's so much, as you said earlier, there's so much misinformation out there and algorithms, they've got a lot of explaining to do. Yeah. Uh, The amount of respect toward each other's opinions and, you know, the conflict that comes up in these conversations is so challenging. Like we already have enough on our plates as people of this earth today. We don't need to add this hatred between humans, this divisiveness over this issue. You know, Mm -hmm. it's frustrating for me because I can practically see the direct effects of other people's choices. I see it in my job. I've had people that try to make the argument with me and no, I'm an ICU nurse. I had someone ask me last year, like, oh, so do you think COVID's real? I'm like, bro, I'm an ICU nurse. Like what, like, what don't you understand? Like, do you think I'm lying about my entire career? 
going to work and seeing just like rainbows and unicorns like we're making this shit up like it's just and it's exhausting you know at the beginning it was very like we're all in this together and all the dolphins came up to swim in the lakes and you know the deer were in the cities and the earth was healing itself you know and everyone was in in unity together because we were all suffering the same thing and then this opportunity came to be able to uh, improve that, improve that situation for the whole world. And some people, most people went with that for the greater good of mankind. You know, it's not, it's not like you and your, and your clique friend, you know, like your group of friends it isn't just you and your posse this affects that's that's the thing people need to think bigger the entire world went through this together and now you and your facebook algorithm have decided yeah no we're gonna we're just gonna opt out of fixing it (laughs) so it's it's hard it's exhausting we're two years in and I'm glad we're coming out on the other side, but my God, I've never seen people so divided. Um, on a more positive note, though, the borders are opening up. Everything is slowly getting back to normal. You, like me, have family internationally. What's next for you? Are you going to get home to Canada or is somebody going to come and visit? Are you going to get to see your people? I was very much hoping that the next time I saw my family would be someone coming here. But as we know, it is an expensive and very long trip. And I actually am expecting a little niece this year. I have a nephew that I have not met who will be two and a half by the time I get there. So I'm planning a trip home in August. Amazing. Um, Yeah. So I'm going to meet my nephew and I'll have a little niece at that point. And, you know, I'm not even looking that far ahead in terms of how many rat tests I have to do a day for how many days before and after leaving. But just even the fact that it's on the horizon and I'm hoping the development of a third world war will not derail those plans. Yes. But Lord knows. Right. Yeah. So it would just be, just be perfect and fitting that the whole world gets disrupted by one egotistical communists (laughs) (laughs) uh it's yeah look it's just one thing after another i can't i've watched the news anymore it's just after two years of this and then now you know russia just with yeah he's he's got russia viral and i said (laughs) no it's it's tragic i don't it's like you said um it's it's hard. It's very, you get challenged by what's happening in the world and your inability to change things Mm -hmm. and do things. So you gotta think globally, act locally. That's a big motto of mine. I like it. You know, you can't change the world, but you can do what you can, what you have, where you are. And we all just need to focus on that. I love it. I think that's a beautiful way to end this conversation. That's a that's a really lovely and important message. So thank you. And thank you for coming on and being so open with your experience. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And I have learned many things. And I'm sure the listeners will really 
get a lot out of this conversation. So thanks, Jess. Oh, I hope so. Thank you. I uh, hope I didn't go on too many ranting nurse tangents, but as I'm sure you've noticed, we don't actually get the opportunity to speak up very much. So <laughs> when someone gives us a mic, pour oh, my heart out. I love it. It's good. Thank you for good having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to even just share one nurse's voice. I think it's important to get a taste of you know, what we're going through right in the heart of it, in the thick of it. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that. Well, guys, that's a wrap on season three, episode one. And what an incredible way to start this season off, hearing from one of our healthcare heroes. I would just like to say another huge thank you to Nurse Jess for being so open, so honest, and raw throughout the conversation. I'd also like to extend the biggest thank you to all of our doctors and nurses throughout the world who have been so incredible throughout this whole pandemic. And it's 100% accurate for me to say that a lot of us wouldn't be here today without their tireless work and care for everyday strangers. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode too and have been able to take something away from it. I personally found Jess's accounts to be incredibly eye-opening and I don't know about you, but I didn't even know it was possible that I found even more respect for our healthcare workers and all that they do for all of us. If you want to get in touch with the show, share some feedback or suggest topics or guests for future episodes, you guys know the drill. Links to the show's official socials are stored in the show notes for you so get in touch i'd love to hear from all of you but for now that's a wrap stay safe be kind look out for each other and i'll see you next time What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.